Do you know you have a very pleasant voice? <laughs> I I have I've heard that. I've heard that. Um I'm I am glad that uh certainly glad it's not a grating voice. Like that would be like like that would be a real problem being a podcaster if uh if it was like one of those distinctively bad voices. Yeah. You know? I mean that could also be a thing, right? That could just be uh like you know how like dissonance is a thing in music? Like what if there was like dissonance in podcasting? <laughs> It's not like there's no I, I just love the idea of there being like uh you know like how a very fatal murder is like a satire of <laughs> of the form, right? Like what if there's a satire on like a good podcast voice where it's like oh, man. Hi, welcome to Rajam Radio. <laughs> I'm poppin' Rajam. Oh, oh. I, I feel like if this is if this is the cold open, I don't think we have listeners at this point. <laughs> no, we don't. We absolutely don't. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All ten people have tuned out. Welcome to episode two of Rajam Radio. My name is Pub and Rajam. I am your host and producer person. That's not really relevant to you. Uh, with me this week uh, has a very pleasant voice, is what people say about him. Um, generally cool dude, uh, Mr. Mark Bramhill. Hey, uh, happy to be here. Yeah, um, so Mark, uh, Mark, you may know, uh, is the producer slash host slash Mr. Welcome to Macintosh, which, uh, just dropped it, dropped its, uh, season two finale, uh, on Sunday this, this past week, correct? Technically season three, but... Everyone thinks it's season two because the real season two was like two episodes long, and then I like fell off the grid. But uh, technically season three. But I'll 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 you're okay you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good good. I should have um, I should have put that in the show notes before we started, but you know. No worries. I'm here to make um, the guest looks. I'm here to make the guest look good. So. <laughs> um. But yeah. Uh. I just finished the third season of that. Uh. It's. 11 episodes uh, about uh, Apple and the culture around it. Um, there's a series on how emojis come into being uh, in which I go and create an emoji and track the process. Um, <laughs> there are stories about uh, the history and legacy of the Mac startup chime. Um, and uh, yeah, this latest one was about uh, I fix it and kind of, are specifically like my relation uh specifically my relationship to um like how i think about uh the environmental impact of these devices and the kind of fandom that i i have for apple um and so uh it's it's like a pretty different apple podcast uh lots of uh it's it's narrative based um a la this american life 99% invisible that that kind of that kind of world but so before we kind of go into your background, I, I had a couple questions about the show. Yeah. Um. So so I and maybe I, you've you've said this elsewhere, but what kind of inspired you to like go this route? I mean, obviously there is kind of a there is a gap in terms of tech podcasts, right? They all tend to be very news focused or or commentary and analysis focused. There's two dudes sitting on Skype, much like we are, but just talking about the news. Yeah. Yeah. Um. What kind of what kind of inspired the the you know th this project basically yeah um so it was something where 
I didn't actually know when I started how to how to actually make a podcast, but um, you know, I I absolutely love the form of narrative audio documentary. So shows like This American Life, shows like, um, uh, you know, Radio Lab or Ninety Nine Percent Invisible, Reply All, like those sorts of shows. I love the form like as a as a sort of an art form basically um and that kind of like documentary style um and that's something which I just have always like for or for a really long time I've been like enamored with um and you know I have been an Apple geek fan (laughs) nerd whatever for for years um and you know listening to lots of Apple podcasts uh that are much newsier um and, you know, listening to those and following people in the Apple community for a number of years, I had heard about, like, lots of little stories or bits of trivia or things that I thought were interesting. Um, and there wasn't a show like this where it's, it's like I I basically just it was the show that I wanted to hear um, of, you know, I wish someone was making this so I could just listen to it as a fan. Um, so, you know, maybe if, maybe if I really wish this thing existed, other people would be interested. Um, and I started not knowing what I was doing, uh, and, uh, people just responded really well to it. Uh, and I have definitely gotten better over the years. Uh, I cringe a little bit listening to the early episodes compared to more recent ones, but, um, yeah, it was, it was just, I wished that this thing existed and decided, like, screw it i'm i'm going to go do it like why not it it's funny that you like all the things you said are things i've heard like other sort of famous slash talented people articulate about other things or projects that people hold in high regard uh mm-hmm. you know where it's like this didn't exist so like let's just go make it myself or uh you know um the idea of uh looking back at something when you started out and you're just going like Ugh, i wouldn't have done it this way you know and that that sort of just uh yeah. personal sort of creative journey as you're making this thing um yeah it's it's something where i think um you know it's it it's not a great choice of a show like if you were going into it like oh i'm going to make a ton of money where it's like you know this takes a lot more time per episode and doesn't get like more listeners than some of the other shows and like financially it kind of makes no sense but um like artistically then it's something where like you know uh it was just like this was like like scratching your own itch sort of thing like it's a a thing that you know you're going to do well at it and find some kind of success if you chase something that like matters to you and like is the thing that you care about like it might not be like financial riches but it's going to be you will you will like depending on how you're defining that success like if you're chasing something that is because you love doing it and you wish this thing existed like that's kind of like its own reward and a lot of times like it does lead to um either like popularity or making it sustainable as a business but i feel like starting from like the reason why a lot of creation stories are similar to that like starting from a cynical place i feel like doesn't tend to work as well where there isn't that passion and like the sort of like uh desire to create it out of like taste and kind of love um yeah yeah no that that totally makes sense um 
So to the, to that end, um, what's your kind of background? I guess be beyond Welcome to Macintosh, like uh, you know, because I know you've done other stuff with Planet Money and and just kind of generally being in this sort of audio production podcast slash radio scene. Yeah. Um, what what's kind of your story there? Um. So uh, I. <laughs> Welcome to Macintosh was, like, my first attempt to make any kind of, like, audio radio stuff. Um, but uh, since starting that, uh, I have worked with, uh, I did an internship with Planet Money, um, which was really great. I learned a lot working with those guys. Um, and uh, I have uh, did, for the Emoji series I mentioned, then... Um, I did a version of that with 99% Invisible, um, which was just a total joy to work with them since uh, they had, like, were a big part of why I had started in the first place. Um, and, you know, it, just feeling like a full circle sort of thing of, like, this is, like, an inspiration and then getting to, like, make a thing with them and for them uh, was really great. Um, and, yeah, uh, I, I studied film and creative writing nonfiction. Um, and actually just graduated from uh, undergrad for that. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of like the the general world of like documentary and documentary audio specifically is like my my main background. But yeah, it's cool. Um, so it's funny how we met. Right. Because I think <laughs> it was just like over over Twitter. Yeah, right? probably at some yeah. point. Like it, I, I don't remember exactly, but, like, in being on, like, Apple Twitter and just generally, like, looking for who has, like, I, I, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but um, somehow, like, I, we were following each other and would, like, tweet at each other and became, like, that level of, like, internet friend. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how a lot of, uh, a lot of people I know have, have started out, just, like, yeah. random. It, what, what usually, the arc is usually, like, bullshitting on twitter and then eventually like being like bumping into someone or recognizing someone at like dub dub or one of the conferences or you know layers or whatever right yeah and then it's just like okay like we can move this from twitter dms to like iMessaging and stuff yeah um, um but but in our case uh <laughs> there is a pretty funny story here where uh, you were in town in November 2016. It was for, uh, um, I was there for um, the Emoji Story. I was uh, the on the Monday of that week, I was pitching my emoji to the Unicode Technical Committee. Um, and, you know, I was really crossing my fingers about uh, how that vote would go. Um, and that went in my favor. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, th so that that vote went well, as as you may know, November twenty sixteen, uh, another US vote presidential was election, uh, <laughs> maybe a more important vote. Um, uh, uh, yeah, perhaps a more important vo important vote. So, uh, you were in town. Uh, my roommate and I were, you know, having people over at our place in Mountain View for a uh, election a, watch uh, party. An elect? Sure. I mean, in hindsight, I don't think I want to call it a party, but I mean, but, it's yeah. more like a like a wake. Yeah, uh, for a, Amer Amer awake for America and like decency. <laughs> yeah, and and so we, uh, <laughs> you know, I I think I picked you up from uh, from the Caltrain station yep, or something, yep. right? Picked yeah, you from the Caltrain station. We went back to my place. We ordered a bunch of pizza. I remember you ordering sushi. I ordered sushi, um, and then like ate some of it. It was like, you know, that feeling of just like 
disgust and depression and like confusion is like not the right time to have a giant platter of sushi delivered. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean it it was uh it was pretty bad. I mean like I think at some point I was just like sitting there and just like I blacked out or something and I was totally sober. Like we had bought yeah, there was... we bought beer, we had bought a ton of pizza, we had bought like, you know, uh, Italian think... soda. No one stuff. was no one was eating and drinking. It was just like the the saddest like I party really isn't the right word for it, but it was uh um so maybe it's you know one of those things where it's like that's not the great greatest like first time to actually meet somebody but uh i definitely definitely feel like we bonded over that uh like shared that that sort of like shared trauma uh so yeah that was that was good yeah we'll we'll always have that yeah it certainly would have been i'm certainly glad that i was there rather than uh alone in my airbnb where there was really loud parakeets in the room next uh next to it Uh, wow that would have been that would that would have been worse yeah i those yeah. parakeets man though that that is really just you know uh seared into my brain <laughs> do, do you have like an association with like anytime like a push notification for like trump something goes off you hear those parakeets now uh fortunately not um but i do there are i remember like the music that i was listening to like showering the next morning and just being like and it was like appropriately just like sad uh like uh sort of like blues jazz sort of music um yeah the westerlies and it was just like yeah this is about right <laughs> i mean i uh i uh this was right before i uh started working for the the that agency at apple yeah and uh so like i yeah, was supposed just to be starting then i remember yeah i was supposed to like i should have been in a very good mood when this happened and it was just like nope and so the next day i actually went you know, a friend and i were supposed to go celebrate you know this job working out uh at Dave and Buster's. And so we go to Dave and Buster's in uh, Milpitas, California, which is, you know, another Bay Area town not far from Mountain View. Yeah. We get there, walk in, all the TVs have Fox News on. And it just feels like 90s, like, cyberpunk dystopia. <laughs> it's just the worst. <laughs> oh, God. No. No. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was oh, rough. Man. But uh, yeah. fortunately, I guess we're in a better spot now, so... Speaking of good places, <laughs> good, good, uh, good pivot there. Um. Speaking of good places, um, we're uh, this week we're doing something a little different. Our uh, middle segment um, is not really going to be a uh, tech or uh, media business type thing. We're going to go more into the pop culture side, and so uh, here's a segment that we call "Now Playing." <laughs> Now playing. Now playing. So this week on Now Playing, we're talking about uh, NBC's The Good Place, which just wrapped up season two a little over a week ago. Um, it's an excellent show. Season one is still on Netflix, I believe. I, I imagine season two will be joining it soon. Uh mm-hmm. But uh, if you want to catch up on that, I believe it's also in the NBC app and Hulu. Yep. Uh, though it's rolling off Hulu because of content restriction and all that stuff. So get it while Woo! it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, should we should we like sound the spoiler horn here? Um, we, I feel well, like we yeah we 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 do spoiler advisories on this show, so we don't have a <laughs> horn. Uh, 
you know, if it's a Star Wars thing, like maybe we'll have like Kylo Ren come on and tell people to turn off the podcast. But in the case of The Good Place, it's if you haven't seen this show, and I'm looking to like camera B, even though there's no camera B here. But if you haven't seen the show, uh, you're going to want to skip this part of the podcast. Uh, if you're listening in Overcast, we'll have chapter markers so you can do that. Um, and uh, yeah, so don't listen to this if you don't want to be spoiled on the show. Uh, if you do want to be spoiled on the show, um, that's okay too. Uh, but just be warned. We're like, I would, I would, yeah, I would say like, if you haven't seen it and you're thinking of seeing it, like, you know, just it's, there's a lot of fun to some of the like twists and turns of it, uh, in a way that's like, not just like, like not just for like surprises. It's just more enjoyable, I think. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. you know, if you want to hear us, uh, you know, talk about it as well, that's fine. So, yeah, you do you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um, the, the advisory has been given. Um, how, okay. Uh, what, what are you, how are you feeling about uh, the season two finale? First off, what are, what are your, your thoughts? Because there has been some disagreement over what this means. I mean, there's, it is very, very ambiguous, right? I mean, it is, there's a point where all of these sort of bad place characters are just, there's a clear antecedent to all of their pronouns that they're using, but it's not known to the viewer and it's not known to any of the humans. Um, And so my kind of assumption is that, uh, you know, there's like, at this point, the show has made it very clear that, like, laws of physics and time and blah, blah, and blah. And the whole like, show takes place in the afterlife. Like, that's – of course those don't apply. Yeah, so, like but, – but the thing is because it's set in such a familiar way, it's very easy to fall back in the trap of, like, oh, it does matter, right? Like, it, there yeah. is physics and, and, like, you know, a rhyme or reason that, that we kind of – an order that the viewer can force on it, right? And so the show always kind of challenges that. So my – Getting to the actual point of your question, um, what did I think happened in season two? At this point, I kind of am in the camp where it's like, hey, they gave them a chance to relive their lives again, but it's like... Is it a simulation or is it they are back in the real world? That's the important thing, though. I think they're back. Yeah, I, I've like flip-flopped a little bit on this because it's, it's something where, the to me, the biggest thing is the the whole um ticker tape weird bell jar things that they've had they have yeah. there um to me that feels very much like this is like the readouts of people living on earth rather than like in a simulation which i feel like is represented very differently yeah um, it's like google analytics for someone's life <laughs> um, oh god i mean but I do, but i, I don't I, need that <laughs> we already have that it's called google analytics but you can't like track like your day to day life with that. You can track like web stuff. I mean, if you use Google products for everything, you kind of can, right? Well, I mean... yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but that, that's a bit of a don't digression. be creepy. <laughs> <laughs> don't be evil. Sorry. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. But 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 I think to me the line that that kind of, and I'm I'm gonna paraphrase, but the line that kind of tells that gives me the signal that this is a real thing is the part where Michael's like. Either way, if they're bad, they'll end up in the bad place again, right? Like, it's basically like they're doing a thing that they haven't done before, which is giving these people a second shot to redeem themselves on Earth. Mm-hmm. And if they screw it up, it's like, well, the worst case scenario, they end up where they were going to go anyways, right? 
So I I think that to me that's the sort of signal where it's like oh like they're 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 getting a second chance past the sort of endpoint of their original lives. Um, yeah, it's the the whole thing is something where um I think ultimately I come down on the, I think it's the they're back in the real world which is crazy um but I love it that it's just like you couldn't see this coming and it's just like all right now it's happening like that's that's how the whole show feels but um it's something where I feel like um I think one of the biggest reasons I've been loving the show uh for these two seasons is that I have <laughs> I have, like, for a while felt, like, kind of burned out on anti-heroes and unlikable characters and just, like, kind of the, like, the gritty uh, s- sort of style that has become almost ubiquitous on TV at this point because there were, like, the just a certain feeling where, you know, that everyone has to be nuanced in a way where you can't like them, um, where it's, like, that that sort of portrayal of flaws as a as a backlash to like overly perfect characters of television past um yeah yeah but like the good place they're not perfect they're like these people literally were sent to hell for being bad people um but they're not bad people who feel like in the same way uh like hateable or not likable that a lot of anti-heroes feel like these these are people like this is about like redemption and like the idea that people can get better which is like so optimistic uh and positive in a way that like i don't know of that many other shows that are doing things like this i i to me it's it reminds me a lot in that regard reminds me a lot of uh unbreakable kimmy schmidt and uh as well as um as well as uh you know, Thirty Rock, which is, I mean, it's it's not a coincidence that are these are both Tina Fey shows. Um, you know, and uh, but you're you're absolutely right. I mean, the only, with the exception of uh, you know, Parks and Eleanor. Recreation as well. Um, yeah, par- Parks. Michael Schur, uh, thing. So yeah, it's it's there's definitely like, I don't, I and I think that's like definitely something where this to me feels the most strongly. Um, in this camp though of like this is literally about like people who in this case like literally condemned to eternal damnation <laughs> yeah yeah um and them getting better and improving themselves where it's like lit- like the idea of that is like nobody is necessarily so far gone is kind of the lesson to take from that in this way that like you you see like i i feel like it's just so positive of a message that like isn't something that like most tv is willing to do yeah um whereas something like uh unbreakable kimmy schmidt or parks and Recreation, like those people are all the characters on those shows are like pretty they don't change that much in terms of how they are as people like they're like leslie nope is leslie uh, nope at the end of the show right yeah he doesn't... they they maybe get a little bit better or a little bit softer or whatever like ron is is still ron but he's a little more caring um yeah. And like has like they've learned things, but it's not so much like a journey from being like a bad person to them being good and wanting to do the right thing. Like it's it's more just like a slow, slight evolution. Um whereas this is like about that reinvention. Yeah, um, absolutely. 
Um, I, and I mean, to, to, am, to that, yeah. go ahead. Um, no, no, you go ahead. I was going to change more drastically. So, <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think the, the nuance about the good place is that the, uh, the char- with the exception of Eleanor, who kind of straight up says like, yeah, I know I was like kind of a bad person. Like I always had mm-hmm. that sort of voice in the back of my head. Um, the other three humans on that show, you know, uh, uh, Chidi, uh, Tahani and, uh, Jason yeah. are all, they're kind of unaware that they've, they've hurt people. Right. I mean, like Chidi is so like kind of academic and detached from his own actions that he doesn't realize that like being so indecisive and clinical has hurt people in his life. Right. It like, was Mike- the almond milk, wasn't it? I loved <laughs> yeah. the film that made on my tongue. <laughs> The, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's such a good bit. But, like, Michael has to literally, li- you know, for all his sort of, you know, moral prognostications about ethics and all that stuff, like, Michael has to spell out to him, like, hey, like, you, the fact that you were the way you are actually ended up hurting a lot of people, and you just weren't, you know, self-aware enough to realize that. And And in that sense, like, the show is a big, it's like, consider like what you're doing and who you are and just be a little like aware of who you are relative to the people around you. Right. Like, yeah, there's not a message. A lot of other TV shows really get into. It's like, it's like, yeah, you can be a better version of yourself, but in order to do that, you need to know, you know, it's, I mean, I guess it goes back to one of those like sort of moral philosopher things where it's like, you have to know yourself too, or like be aware of who you are and your shortcomings and, and all all that stuff. There's also just like, from the perspective of like, like for staging an intervention sort of thing, like the first the step is to acknowledge you have a problem. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, where like all of them are able to stage an intervention for Eleanor because it's obvious that she's like <laughs> been a terrible person, but all the rest of them don't realize they also have the same overall problem that they have hurt and inflicted pain on other people through their the way that they lived. Yeah. Um, but that well, and- once they finally realize, like, they they all do want to do better, even though it's hard. And, like, they fail at it a lot. They are, like, like that, I, I just find that so, like, uplifting and, like, charming as a conceit for a show. Yeah. And, and at the same time, you have a character like Michael who's, like, yeah, I'm bad. But, like, at first, he just doesn't care, right? Like, it, he, yeah. he is bad because, like, that's his nature. He's, that's, that's what demons do. And then you somehow, you know, he, there is, he has like sort of the biggest arc, right? Where he goes from like, you know, um, you know, the end of season one, uh, being like, God damn it. You guys ruined this for me. Season two, like it just continuously happens. And then by the end of season two, he's like, you guys, I was so worried about you. Like, I mean, that's a role that like, I can't imagine anyone else but Ted Danson in that role. (laughs) And like, have you, uh, have you watched Curb Your Enthusiasm? I I have not seen all of it, but I've seen some of it. So Ted Danson plays like a fictional version of himself on that show. And like, if you didn't think, I mean, I guess in Cheers, Ted Danson is a bit of a jerk, right? Like Sam is a bit of a asshole, sardonic guy behind the bar. And, mm-hmm. like, here he's this warm character, and then he's like, nah, I'm actually an asshole because I'm a demon. And then he ends up being this warm character again. Like, it's such a interesting arc that I've never – I don't think I've seen that in TV before, where a character starts out one way and is like, actually, no, that was all a facade. Uh, this is how it really is. But then you end up working them back to, like, that actual facade, except it's not a facade yeah. anymore. Yeah, um, that's an interesting thought. Um, yeah. Where – um. 
I'm curious, where do you think where do you think that uh it might be the show might be going uh in the next season or so? You know, I <laughs> I feel like if I knew if I had the answer to that, I would be in the writer's room. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it, it's so hard to it's it's hard to the forecast, right? Because look at how it's set up now, right? It, let's assume they're all, you know, back on earth and they're reliving their lives and Okay, great. If they come out better, they go to the good place, but then what what happens then? Yeah. Right? So so my there it's something where like at this point they have to at somehow at some point probably in the not so distant future because the show has proven that it's not going to like take it's 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 not going to like uh waste time to get to something you know is coming. Like they're going to make it somehow to the good place probably in the next season, I would think. Possibly yeah. like early in the season. Uh it's hard to know, but like my my feeling is the the show ha- like the, maybe it's maybe it's just me and my ideologies uh thinking that this is the inevitable, but um <laughs> it's something where initially watching the show I I was not clever enough to pick up on that this was hell and uh that they were being tortured. But I was noticing that like this the the way that this heaven uh like the supposed good place like the people who are supposedly the best and have spent their lives trying to help people that then they got to enjoy their reward where while everyone else is tortured for an eternity just felt like so strange um of like how are they not upset that they can't do more um like Right. It's, it's it's sort of like the the moral like bourgeoisie like living at the top <laughs> while everyone else is oppressed um where it's like if anything they should have the self-awareness to want to fight against that um and my my feeling is like the they might make it to the good place but i feel like at that point they uh they have to want to leave like they can't stay there the show doesn't end there i feel like it has to be the the challenge of them is to tear down sort of the walls between this and uh help everybody you know Um, maybe maybe the good place was the friends we made along the way (laughs) i i'm like but it, it i don't know um like it's also just something where like Michael Schur and his obsession with Lost, like it's just like there has to be there has to be a solid like we have to go back uh call out somewhere, you know? <laughs> like it, it's going to happen. Like if they don't do it, we're go- I'm going to be upset. <laughs> I yeah, I mean it's uh I mean also when you think about it like and he, and this is almost the question that the show begged from the beginning, right? Was that like all right, how is the idea of utopia even interesting to like watch right like what makes the show interesting is how many things failed or like didn't work or whatever right in that first Mm -hmm. season or it's like ideally this is some utopian sort of afterlife uh it's paradise and like like yeah now they're giant shrimp flying around and this person who probably shouldn't be here is here and and uh and all that like I think it, the show is self-aware enough to realize that just the idea of like, yeah, we made it to the good place. Like, is that the end point? Like, I think you're right there that it, that it's, it's probably not. Um, like but, I, uh, that would be the most boring and unsatisfying ending I could imagine. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and also like, 
the if that's what the whole point of it is, like there's a large amount of that that is selfish. Um, right. And that kind of defeats the point of the whole thing, at least to me. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it, there there's an interesting point you're making there because that's almost like a critique of the whole sort of like afterlife notion of religion, right? Like where it's like <laughs> you're doing all this stuff and you get to get to this good place, but then like, are you doing all? Why are you doing all the good things in your life? Are you doing it for your own selfish like end of life score or? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think like every sort of major religion has that sort of like carrot hanging there right like you know hinduism <laughs> is like reincarnation as various forms of things and you know if you're better then you get you get a like less less crappy <laughs> reincarnation form yeah I guess. You, you you come out you come back as like a higher caste or something if you believe yeah. in that stuff or like uh right. um or you know you like yeah i mean i don't, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole but th- <laughs> like it, it is interesting that 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 like it kind of is like a subtle like critique of that's like wait is this really the point of all this stuff like why don't we just be good to each other yeah um so so a little bit of a pivot point here um for for all the sort of positive stuff that we're talking about here like about the show and its overall message and it's it's sort of uh, you know the the personal journey of the character, the main characters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I do find it interesting that that is juxtaposed with some really hilarious, just dark humor and like, you know, everything ranging from just like, all right, like we're literally just like ripping these people to shreds, or like I think uh, Sean says a thing where it's like, you know, uh, we reach into people and then they, we pull their butt in from the outside or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, or butt butt out from the inside. You know, and then you have like evil Janet making fart noises, right? Like it, the the humor is kind of scattershot, and it's a very interesting juxtaposition of the sort of darkness and like all the sort of like torture techniques that the demons use. Um, yeah, you know, with with the sort of like uplifting, uh, you know, overall narrative and message of the show. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. It is really like I feel like it's the it really is like the sum like more than the sum of its parts where like each individual thing like I feel like is really appealing but like might not work and like on paper like I feel like the show doesn't sound like it would work if I if I read a pitch for it I might be like this sounds weird I don't know but yeah like it really comes together in a way where it's like this is so fun and endearing and like just well executed like there's there's a certain amount of like kitschiness to it at times but like i feel like it's so like earnest uh and just joyful that like i'm okay with it um yeah um yeah it's uh it's funny i uh when when it first came on the air right back in uh what was it was it 2016 or was it 2017? It was 20 uh, like I, I think it was know. yeah I, I I forgot. Um, <laughs> but I remember I was at I was back in the DC area at my parents' house and like the first two episodes were out and we watched it and like my parents hated it. They were like, "What's the point of this? Like I'm piecing out on the show." I was like, "Okay, <laughs> like I guess we watched it." And then like I come like I I see Twitter or whatever a couple like weeks or months later. And I'm just like. 
wow, like everyone really turned around on this or like they just, you know, missed the boat on it because like everyone from the AV club to just like people we follow on Twitter were, yeah, you know, were, were I, going crazy for it. I watched it uh, when uh, Nevin, uh, Nevin Mergen of Panic uh, recommended it to me um, and there was someone else who was talking it up. Um, I don't think they're, um, no, never mind. Uh, they're not. They're like a real life friend who's also on Twitter. Um, <laughs> cut that. Life. Wait. Cut that. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, uh, but uh, yeah, like they, it was something where like I was suddenly hearing about it from all these people with like taste that I respect. It was like okay, yeah. like I'll I'll sure I'll give this a shot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we've talked a lot about the good things about the show. Um, and we'll get to a couple more of those, I think, but, or at least one more of them, but I do want to call out something that I find kind of annoying about it. Okay. Some, some negative feedback here, um, to be diplomatic about it. Um, I feel like every time any of the characters sort of quote, um, they quote the, uh, what's it called? Uh, you know, any sort of philosopher or something, right? Yeah. Um, I feel like anyone who has studied philosophy or or is an actual academic in that regard feels the way like we feel or like nerds feel or whatever feel about like the big gang big bang theory where it's like <laughs> well Immanuel Kant said and it's just like yes we we know we've established that you know what this is right I mean it's like the big bang theory of equivalent of like Oh, this is like the time Superman flew and saved Lois Lane, like for like Sheldon, like saving a beaker falling off a thing, right? Like it, it, it kind of it's it's not very subtle in how it handles that stuff. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's like uh, it's like you're in the middle of a blog post and there's a block quote that shows up or something, and I don't know how they how they get around that or how they whether they they rely on that as a as a device you know, uh, going forward because, you know, going back and rewatching it, it just feels very, um, heavy handed, you know, very heavy handed. And it's, it's not very subtle at all. Um, and I, again, like, I don't know if it's at this point, we kind of get that the characters have, you know, if you've really internalized a lesson, right. Do you have to necessarily like quote that lesson every time, you know, like, it's like when you uh, stop at a stoplight in your car, you have to be like, red means stop. No, you just stop, yeah. right? Red means um, stop. <laughs> Green means go. Yellow means Yellow go means, faster. <laughs> Yellow means <laughs> means slow down or accelerate. <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> like that, no, yeah. Um, I, as someone who is not well-versed in philosophy, um... To me, it's definitely just like, haha, philosophy jokes. So I, I am not the right one to be able to fairly evaluate that, but I definitely see what you mean. Um, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not, you know, I'm not a philosophy person either. I mean, uh, my, my undergraduate degree is in finance. So if anything, like, I don't, <laughs> I shouldn't have <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but speaking of, so, so going back to good things about the show, um, I, I think that's really my only main sort of nagging point about it. Um, yeah. th- there are kind of two things I, I want to hit before we wrap up, sure. um, on, on this part, part of the, yeah. of our episode. Um, 
So one is, the show is really, really good about just like resetting and doing like Empire Strikes Back's level of uh, <laughs> of twists uh, every you know every couple episodes, particularly in season two, right? Where it's like, yeah. And what I mean by that is like it is a revelation or plot point that basically reframes everything that came before it, right? Um, you know, like once you see the season one finale, uh, you can never watch season one the way you first saw it ever again, right? Yeah. It it reframes everything. Yeah. Um, and it's really like uh, if you rewatch the first season, um, then it's like like rewatching both seasons it's really good and it rewards that just because like they've because it allows you to view it in a totally new context um where everything is suddenly like really different uh in a way that i like at least um yeah which i i feel like few shows pull that off without feeling heavy-handed or like making you feel like uh fine like i'll let you get away with it like they actually like it it's something where it's like they don't want to waste time getting to something that you know is inevitable on the show um yeah where it's like all right like this is gonna play out so let's play it out in one episode and yeah, reinvent exactly. the show again um which i i thought was like a really smart move if like and unexpected but it's like once it happens it's like well like i think that they had to do that otherwise it would have been like really boring um is like who wants to watch these people like lose their memories again and again and like like I don't want to watch a season long version of Groundhog Day <laughs> like that yeah would be exactly really bad. That, but that that's what work. everyone was including me was like expecting um at least to some degree uh so yeah yeah um for sure I mean yeah it's, it's, I'm just imagining like Groundhog Day the television series <laughs> and it just sounds awful that would that would definitely get canceled. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would hope so. It's Groundhog, okay, Groundhog okay. Day, the animated series yeah. coming to you live on Crackle. <laughs> so, so here's here's my idea: the movie Groundhog Day, but it's a TV show set in hell, and it's all f- like framed with moral philosophy. <laughs> are you, are you like are are you are you feeling this? Are you feeling? <laughs> uh, As a network yeah. executive, I would like two seasons of this. Let's skip the pilot phase. <laughs> Uh, yeah no um no <laughs> the, the the other thing i wanted to talk about and i think this also has this is something this show has in common with uh another michael sure show uh brooklyn 99 okay. um which is the amount of uh diversity and representation in the cast and how it 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 does some very smart commentary around that uh you know, with the uh, you know the fact that our main cast is all basically you know minorities or you know not cisgender white men, right? Like it's you have Eleanor, you have Tahani, you have Chidi, and you have Jason, and they're all these uh, you know historically kind of underrepresented uh, people in you know this sort of show, like a broadcast comedy, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's it's very progressive in that, and just depicting them as just people. Um, and even just the background characters, right, or or the ones who are less major characters, like uh, casting Tia Sarkar as a uh, Vicky. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's so good. Yeah, I mean, and just even like the other incidental characters in the neighborhood, it's just so much more diverse than I think I've seen any other show yeah. on TV. And it doesn't really make a big deal about it. It's like, yeah, come live in this diverse utopia. No, it's just like 
this is what people look like in 2018. Um, I was just uh, then uh, talking about, like, for uh, I'm helping teach a class on podcasting right now. Um, And in, like, talking about, like, looking, we're talking about looking for stories and, like, who to, like, who gets to have their story told and what the stories are. Um, And one of the big things that, like, is a problem is, like, in, like, the news or in media, it's really easy for, like, if there's a story about, like, a minority or, like, a person of color or um, someone in, like, the LGBTQ community, um, like, that the story is about their identity and that's, like, the sole thing that they're allowed to be about. Um, whereas, like, uh, and this this carries over to, like, fiction in these things, too, where it's, like, these people are, like, maybe, like, more diverse or minorities but like it's that's it it, like you said it's incidental it's they're allowed to be seen as just like interesting people who you want to watch where it's not like and they happen to be however um in a way that like i feel like uh is not common enough in any form of media um yeah where like uh the best example of this ever uh <laughs> uh where like they act where someone in the media accidentally kind of like pulls back the curtain a little um is this wonderful news clip uh this blooper from i think like 2006 where uh like a newscaster this woman is saying how uh we're going to do a story about <laughs> about this man who just climbed mount everest but he's gay uh, uh, uh he's blind sorry he's blind <laughs> and it's just like, wow where it's one of those things where it's so clear that it's like they're just interested in it where it's like look at how this person is other or uh like and just like make it's something where it's like the whole reason for the story's existence is their identity which is the only thing that's interesting about them supposedly where it's like no like they are also just interesting people who are worth covering where they're like this part of their identity is incidental um which i don't think happens nearly enough and it's it's hard to navigate i think in a lot of ways but in in this like it's also just like just cat like hire a diverse cast like that's that's not that hard um but like it's it's something where it's really easy to be like oh we'll have like the token like the token black character or whatever and they're going to be like very clearly defined in this way where it's like no like it doesn't matter like it this show isn't doing that in a way where it's like and doesn't make a big deal about it in a way that like should be what much more common (laughs) yeah i mean again like i I think uh brooklyn 99 is another show that uh does this very well where it's just the characters are very very uh you know different they're not all just white dudes uh, yeah. they kind of poke like the characters that are like cisgender white dudes are kind of like the butt of the joke a lot of the time, you know, Sully and Hitchcock, if you're familiar with that show. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I, you know, it's funny how like the good place also like pokes fun at that pretty explicitly too, where it's like Sean makes a quip about how like, you know, there's a reason I picked the form of like a mid forties white man. I only fail up or something like that. Yeah, so. it's, it's so good. <laughs> it's just like, oh, the show knows exactly what it's doing. Like, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so speaking of characters, uh, before we we go to our news segment, um, I have a question for you. All right. Um, which is, if you were like a character 
or a, or a combination of characters on this show, who mm-hmm. are you? Um. Okay, you go first since you've I I've thought about this, but let me let me formulate my my answer in a way that might be coherent. What? Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so so for me, I think uh, I I'm at least some part Tahani. Um, okay. Okay. Because I realized this because there's a scene where like you know the the judge uh, in in you know my Rudolph's character the judge uh, changes them out of their like sort of bad place outfits into something they're more comfortable in. And she's like, oh, it's like this outfit. But is it after this time? And then she's like, oh, that's irrelevant. And I'm like, yeah, I'm the guy who makes sure his, like, phone case and watch band and shoes match. I am that person. Like, I am that pedantic about things. Um, so I, th- I think I, I am that. Um, maybe I'm just Tahani. I don't know. Um, because I don't necessarily know that I'm quite as... Uh, like uh bad as say Eleanor is at the beginning of the series um you know maybe more so now in the sense of like being self-aware about shortcomings and self-improvement mm-hmm. um unlike Chidi I'm not super indecisive uh unless it's like oh I don't know what to get for dinner tonight that's about it like the rest of it's easy for me to make a decision um I guess I'm a little Jason too cuz it's like I'm a goofball sometimes I mean, as the sponsor read for this episode will tell you, I'm <laughs> kind of an idiot at moments. But yeah. Um, but but yeah you're, a, I, you're a lovable idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah, I'm a lovable idiot who, uh, who uh, you know, loves to name drop and probably like knows too much about like people's roles within a certain organization and also is very particular about clothing and where things need to be and color matching and all that sort of dumb stuff. Okay. I think, so for me, the, I'm, I'm most like cheaty, not in that I think I'm like, so not in the, the most positive aspects of being like, Oh, I am like super ethical and think about these things all the time. I think I am generally like, I care a lot about other people and think about that a lot, but philosophy side, no. But the indecisiveness and just like crippling anxiety, that is spot on. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is like I most strongly identify with that. Um, I, I think the like more positive side would probably be um, more either from I guess Jason and Eleanor. I think are both similar as they've like improved. Are like both like the people that they care about. Like they're very like. I think very thoughtful and like loving of the people around them. Um, but like, that's not, and that's like the, that's like my, if I were to pick like a negative from one and a positive from another, that would probably be my, my combo. Um, yeah. Uh, so, but definitely I am, I am a cheaty. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know who we haven't conspicuously talked about at all? Uh, okay, I, I might have mentioned her occasionally. Uh, is Janet? Janet, um, yeah. Janet is like what we all want Siri to be. Um, <laughs> not a robot. <laughs> not a robot. <laughs> like also not a woman. Yeah. Uh, she's no, I luggage. mean like. I mean like I don't know that I'd necessarily be mad if Siri brought me a cactus. Like. I mean, 
it, to be honest, that that feel that stage of Janet feels like what Siri is, where it's just like Siri, what's the weather? And it just like shoves a cactus in your face, and it's like, okay, we've we've got work to do. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think like it's hard to talk about Janet in the sense of like what is she? She is supposedly like software, but that doesn't exactly make sense for like what the place is and how she, it, it, none of it like totally like fits any, like at the same time, it's like anything like they can bring people back to life and create multiple universes. And it's like, whatever, like the, the details of this don't matter that much, but it's something where like, she isn't a robot, but what is she? Um, anyway, and then uh, two 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 other characters that are kind of goofy that we haven't mentioned are uh, Derek. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> uh, which uh, I, I don't know that there's much to say about Derek. Derek other than hi, I'm Derek. 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 <laughs> Maximum Derek. Yeah, that's that's about all. Um, and then yeah, I guess Mimi St. Clair and her yeah. ridiculous cocaine habit, but. Or Mindy uh, St. Clair. Mindy, Mindy St. Clair. Mi- no, Mimi St. Mimi is a character from uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. I think, right? Let's, yeah. Uh, you can you can edit that out, though. Uh, Mindy St. No, Clair. no, no. There's, it's a, everything that's in the show is in the show. <laughs> <laughs> everything that's in the show is in the show. It says the, this is the NBC, NBC uh, cinematic comedy television universe. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, speaking of which, apparently this show exists within the same universe as uh, Parks and Rec. Um, uh, I I hope that they they encounter Leslie Nope then. <laughs> now that they're <laughs> yeah, back that, on Earth. Yeah, because I was gonna say otherwise, like if they meet her in the good place, like she's dead, right? Like, well, you know that if she did die, she'd be in the good place. Like of any character on television, <laughs> Leslie Nope would be. Yeah, well, and then I guess the the other the other kind of issue with that is Adam Scott playing uh, a demon in season yeah. one and then also being uh, a major <laughs> character in Parks and Rec. Um, so to wrap this segment up, are there... For P- I'm guessing if you've listened to this thus far, you either don't care about spoilers or you've seen the show. And if that is the case, um, we should probably recommend some other shows uh, for, for people to watch if they like this. Um, yeah. I would say my... My big picks are Parks and Rec, obviously, right? Because I think that's yep. kind of the yep. the forerunner <laughs> to this show. Um, I guess to a lesser extent, The Office as well. I I feel like The Office was something that was a forerunner to Parks and Rec, where Parks and Rec found like quickly found that it had to exist as a very different show. Um, right? Yeah, because season one of Parks and Rec is like not as good as the what came afterwards. Yeah, Parks and first season of Parks and Rec is like a not as good version of The Office, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they quickly just were like they took what worked and scrapped what didn't, and like created a beautiful, wonderful show. Um, but uh, the yeah, I don't know if The Office feels so much like a forerunner to The Good Place, though. That's fair. Um, um, I would lost. I would also say <laughs> Lost. I mean, I still I still haven't uh. I still haven't watched Lost, so I, I couldn't tell you. No, okay. I, I skipped out it's, on Lost. It's very flawed. Uh, I have many, <laughs> many problems with it, as I think everyone who watched it does. Um, <laughs> but it's also something where, like, there is a reason why that's something that, like, 
lots of people obsessed over. And this show absolutely learns a ton from Lost. And I think it, it learns from Lost's failings very well, too. Um, That's interesting. I've never heard that articulated by anyone. I mean, like, it's a lot of, like, the devices that, like, Lost, I think, was one of the first to use very heavily in, like, a major network show. I could be wrong on this, but, uh, like, the flashbacks and flash forwards and things um, for, like, within each episode, like, that was definitely something where, especially for the first season of The of the Good Place, was, like, directly um, inspired by that uh, and how that tells a story in its own way. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that doesn't happen nearly as much in the second season. Um, yeah. But also, like, thing, like as far as, like, a high-concept show, where it's, like, a lot of themes <laughs> are similar, where Lost is a much, much darker show. Um, and I sure. think one of the big things that they learned um, is, like, the whole idea of, like, reinvention and, like, how long can you spend playing something out. Uh, sure. Where Lost just keeps letting these ideas go unanswered and throwing in more and more things and then ultimately like can't wrap it up in a way that's satisfying at all um and it's something where like i think they could like if they play let things play out like be answered quickly and then just like let that open up a new mystery i think that would have worked a lot better where i think this show is like very conscious of like we need to have things at least figured out of like where we're going um, in a way that Lost really didn't, uh, where it was just like, let's write in a mystery. And like, we don't know what this is going to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, you can even make the case that uh, Twin Peaks had the same problem with the yeah. uh, uh, particularly the, the first two seasons. Uh, not I'm not recommending Twin Peaks if you like this show, because like that's. I mean, first two seasons maybe, but then you get to season three and it's just like, uh, it's a, you know, 18 hour long David Lynch movie and you have to be up for that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if it. you like, if you like David Lynch, you'll, you, you should watch it. But like, if you like David Lynch, you've already watched that. <laughs> yeah. You don't <laughs> you need know, me to recommend know. that to you. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, any other TV shows? I um, think Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nine-Nine yeah. should be up there. I mean, it's, it's. You know, in the way that, uh, um, you know, in, in the way that uh, the good place is kind of sending up Lost to a certain degree with the whole metaphysical aspect of it, Brooklyn Nine Nine yeah. kind of does the same thing with you know police procedural shows, um, and it's very good and it's the same sort of brand of humor uh, as as the Good Place, um, you know, and it. It's, I think it's a fantastic show. Uh, I hope it it doesn't get canceled or anything because I just don't. I don't feel like it ever gets enough buzz. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's uh it's been on for a couple seasons. It's all on Hulu. It's Andy Samberg is kind of the lead. Um, and you know he's great in basically everything. So, <laughs> all right, yeah, um, cool. <laughs> so the good place. It's good place. Good. Uh, And now, a word from our sponsor. Are you tired of waiting in line? Do you hate standing idly by as the gears of modern bureaucracy crush your soul? Hi, I'm Damon the Demon, and I work at The Bad Place. I can't wait to tell you about a service I love to use called the Post Office. The Post Office is simply the best, most efficient way to torture your humans. It's fully customizable with user-adjustable parameters such as postal worker competence, line length, customer competence, time of day, and postal regulations to ensure that your torture experience is terrible for your humans. 
The post office also features multiple predefined torture templates that you can use to get torturing even faster. Notable templates include the Groundhog Day, the five minutes till closing, and finally, my personal favorite, the DMV, where the human reaches the counter and is always given some bureaucratic reason that their order can't be processed, like having the incorrect amount of stamps, forms completed, or other information. Use promo code... to save 15% off your first month. My thanks to the post office for sponsoring this episode. So now we're doing news of the week. News. News. Our first story this week, uh, Let's talk about this whole thing with, uh, you know, it's going to be a hard, the whiplash from going from talking about the good place to Apple software is quite <laughs> something. Well, <laughs> it, it should be a lot easier with the fact that uh, there will have been uh, a silly ad spot in between, although it is good place related. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so the first. So, um, yeah. What? What what's going on in uh, the world of tech and media this week? Yeah, so uh, apparently Apple is kind of—I don't want to say hitting the brakes on on uh, you know on on the next release of iOS and macOS, but they seem to kind of be aware that there is a perception out there that uh, maybe some of the quality <laughs> of their software has slipped, maybe a little. <laughs> I Some mean, people maybe have been thinking that. Yeah, I mean, well, that I think that that meme kind of blew up most spectacularly with uh, with uh, Marco Arment's infamous sort of functional high ground post. In, but I mean, uh, that's been going on for like what is that two or three years now? Yeah, I mean, he he published that in 2014. Um, okay, and I I think uh, look at the end of the day, I think the best take on this came from uh Steven Sanofsky of all people he used to uh he used to run uh you know windows and yeah. office over at Microsoft I'd um, also like to point out that uh what uh what emoji does he have in his twitter twitter name I don't know what is it mark it's a person in lotus position. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah, he does. He has the dude doing uh doing lotus position. It makes me really happy. <laughs> That's that is amazing. I am glad I had you on the show this week. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, I was more excited about that than uh than the fact that than like his forty three tweet uh rant. Can, yeah, we should probably talk about how like after a certain point you should probably just write a blog post. Yeah, you know? if, if it's forty three tweets long, it's not meant for Twitter. I mean, <laughs> like, I, I feel like at this point, you know, I, I wish Twitter and Medium merged so like they could put up a warning in Twitter and be like, "You've basically been threading this without any replies for about five tweets. Are you sure you don't want to write a Medium post?" Just like Clippy comes up from the grave. <laughs> <laughs> Z- zombie clippy recommending blog posts it looks um, like you're trying to write a blog post would you like me to put that in the right context yeah <laughs> but uh you know to sum up uh more whiplash man uh to sum up uh 
Stephen Sinopsi's tweet storm, though, he's basically saying that, you know, and correct me if you read this another way, but he's basically saying that no one has really shipped a hardware software system, right? That's like everything from like silicon all the way to, uh, you know, the top of the stack, which is like the user interface that people interact with. Like no one has shipped something this comp and that's not even including cloud, but like no one shipped any sort of end-to-end system that is this complex uh, at this scale ever. Right. So um, there is scale, there are pains associated with scaling that up. And I, you know, I think that's a fair point. And he, if anyone has credibility to talk about that sort of thing, I think it's him. Yeah, Um, (laughs) for sure. Um, Yeah. It's something where, like, reading reading about the report from from Mark Gurman and Bloomberg um, and various replies to it, um, then, you know, it's something where, like, I think, though, it's in terms of how much of a change it is, like, could be potentially overstated. But I think it's, like, a good, like, formal acknowledgement kind of within the company of, like, maybe we shouldn't be, like, making sure that everything has to coalesce aggressively on this yearly cycle um where like they've been adding more features to like uh like the point releases within ios which i think like that's a much better way to do it if it's not ready like um it doesn't have to ship uh, it doesn't have to wait a year later if it's ready like a couple months late but it also shouldn't ship before it's done um and i think like like it feels almost like obvious as like a thing to do, but it's it still like requires a certain amount of like um humility, I think, to acknowledge that internally. Um Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's like this is good. Um I'm I'm happy to see that it's like been formally articulated uh to like the engineers of the company. I think like that's it's a good a good thing for them to like be a little more realistic uh and be a little more uh like keep the bar a little higher for what they're willing to let out the door right i mean and i i think uh you know it is it's worth kind of stepping back and like you know i see a lot of people going like well why don't they just like have every app be its own you know release cycle thing and it's like again like Consider the stack Apple was accountable for, right? It's hardware. That's already pretty complex. It's software that often has dependencies upon hardware for features, right? Like mm-hmm. something like Animoji needs to be in lockstep with the hardware that is that it has a dependency on for it to work, right? Yeah. And then you have the, you know, even within software, you like you have frameworks and and APIs and things that like you know one team is building that another team is going to leverage, right? Like for example, drag and drop, right? Like you know, yeah, you know, there's a team that is probably implementing drag and drop, right? And they're just focused on that at the system level, and then other teams in the company are implementing that, right? So it's not like oh hey messages team like they're ready to go do drag and drop and they'll just do it on their own it's like that's not how that works there is a dependency there and so um you know be the fact that they own the actual like software like operating system platform as well as the applications that run on it and the associated frameworks um doesn't make it there's no just like rip the bandaid off and move everything to its own sort of app update cycle because that's just not that's not the nature of the beast yeah it's it's something where like it's definitely like 
there's a lot that's tied together. Um, and I think basically just like the, I, I agree that it taking each app to its own release schedule is not the correct solution. Um, I think it's something where like just generally like letting things be in like point releases though is like more and more. I think that would be like, I am all for that of like, let's not roll out this feature uh, until it's done. Um, and like, as soon as it's done, then like, yeah, let's try and get it out there. Um, but like, I I think just generally like that being a little more cautious about it, I think is good. Cause I mean, just the scale that Apple is working on is so much bigger than it ever has been. <laughs> and it just keeps getting bigger. Um, right. So like right. the impact of like a small bug becomes that much more uh, like unacceptable, I think. Um, and so like being a little more conservative about these things, I think is probably the right move. Um, not necessarily like, about like reinventing how things work but like just <laughs> whether like being conservative in terms of stability and consistency and how much testing something should have before it might need to ship um where like it it definitely in some cases feels like that is needed i mean basically at the end of the day right if you look at the st state of the market right now right like mm -hmm. It's the the smartphone market is maturing. It's it's slowing down. The growth. It's not like the sort of ridiculous land grab situation that it was in maybe like two thousand nine or two thousand ten, right? So, you know, it's it's at the point where, you know, the installed bases between iOS and Android are more or less kind of, you know, hitting a certain point where they're not going to grow that much more, right? <laughs> they're they're reaching their carrying capacity. <laughs> yeah, and so like you'll have people, you have a couple people churning in and out, right? You know, who who switch and you know, and at this point, the way things are built across both platforms, unless you just completely live on third-party apps, which like you know, I don't think a lot of people do that, but um, the switching costs between iOS and Android is pretty high, right? I think that's that's, yeah. that's fair to say. So. At this point, you're not really as focused on the sort of land grab mentality as much as you are, you know, uh, preventing people from churning to the other platform. Uh, and that means that you can also focus on things like quality and not having some ridiculously flashy feature every year, right? Like, it's not like the competition is so hot right now, you know, based on, uh, you know, what you, we've seen, like, for example, how Google's doing with, like, the Pixel 2, right? Like, yeah, it's a great phone, but they don't have the sort of infrastructure to, like, move hardware and volume from like a support and sales channel perspective the way Apple does. Um, yeah. So I think like this is the right time to like, just from looking at the market, understanding, you know, where everything seems to be at, this is the right time to kind of, you know, ease off the gas a little bit and focus on quality and keeping people happy. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's the unusual situation where like Apple's kind of a, like Apple has a monopoly on iOS, right? Like, if Apple doesn't make things right, no one else will. Uh, and I think they, yeah. they understand that for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think that saying that it's like easing off the, the gas rather than pumping the brakes, I think is a better way of thinking it of like be a little less aggressive um, and just like a, like a little more conservative about it. Uh, and I think that's the right, the right move at this point in time. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, do we want to look at some of these sort of rumored features that German is reporting on? Um, um, let me let me find. So there's apparently a big, you know, there's that whole cross-platform Mac thing, um, which is interesting. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to comment on that because it just, you know, as a as it stands right now, it's so vague. Like, what does that even mean? Yeah, like, I am like, I am cautiously optimistic, but like, I don't have that many feelings about it right now. Yeah, I mean, if it just means there's consistency and like there's certain things that were like iOS only, you know, like home kit support or like the news app or whatever like if those things come over great um but i you know let's i don't want to speculate on something yeah. that hasn't actually been announced yet yeah um, new new and emoji features uh i mean great you know let's get some licensed characters in there too while we're at it right my my biggest guess is that there will be some form of like uh actually doable like an emoji karaoke type things uh built in uh would be what i expect that to be just like that's what they're advertising them doing like there has to be yeah. a way of of actually like making that a little more seamless um i mean that the, could be something they do in like in the clips app or something right i mean yeah it could be a, a clips app it. thing or it could be like uh like an like i don't or it could be something a new part of Animoji in iMessage i don't know um but yeah i expect that something like that is absolutely what that's referring to like that's the biggest thing that i think could and like should change just where it's like you're advertising this thing that you can't easily do um, yeah you should be able to make videos that are like not as insane as they the ads they've been doing with animoji but like you should be able to do something in that vein without kind of having to do weird hacks and workarounds um, yeah exactly um and then another one that's shipping this year supposedly is the a digital health tool to show parents how much time their children have been staring at their screens. Um, which sound to me that reads as uh, like a controlled leak from Apple in response to the various people who have been giving them crap about like uh, uh, about like uh, kids spending too much time on their phones or with technology like this. <laughs> that to me reads as like Apple wants like there to be some news of like, we're working on this. Please stop giving us bad press. I mean, to, from what I understand, there's something, there might be something similar that they've already kind of rolled out as part of like all the classroom stuff they're doing on iPad, where you can kind of see like what people are doing on devices and all that stuff if you're in a managed classroom. Mm -hmm. um, but bringing that more to the masses, I guess. Yeah, I mean, like pro productizing it for like the average family, right? Because yeah, I think at this point, teachers. Yeah, and I think at this point, we're at a point where, um, you know, I've seen people say that, you know, oh, like, as a parent, like, you need to do this and that. And just, like, look, at the end of the day, like, if Apple is a company that's about building tools that empower people to do stuff, then this is a thing they should do, right? If they're, if oh, they're yeah. just, there's incentive, there's, you know, it seems kind of shitty to me if you go and you build something like family sharing and then you don't build in, like, you know, parental controls and, like, family uh you know, family-based, uh, you know, user management to that as well. Yeah, um, for sure. And, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, that's fine. I think it, I, one thing that I'm not seeing here that I would love to see, and I think, um, you know, this is probably a good transition to our next topic, but, um, is more consideration for multi-user stuff on iOS. You know, the mm -hmm. Mac has profiles and always has profiles and Unix is always, you know, the Unix, un, you know, foundation of these products has always kind of had multi-user support. Um, but, you know, 
iPad still doesn't have multi-user. I get yeah. that iPhone doesn't. Um, and apparently, major iPad features aren't coming until uh, iOS 13. So which, that's you know, honestly, that's fine. I mean, if, if if this is about you know, you know, laying foundation for the next couple of years, right? Um, yeah. In this, in the same way that, like, from a design perspective, um, iPhone 10 is you know laying foundation for like the next decade of smartphones. Um, yeah. you know, that's, that's fine. You know, good things come to those who wait. I'm not going to complain. Um, and I think that's pretty much it for this story. Um, um, so I can say, I can say if I'm going to, the feature that I want to see, um, most of like big changes, um, and that kind of works as a transition into one of the other things, uh, to talk about, um, is better support for, uh, changing default applications. Um, for uh being able to say like um like from the most basic level of change what app mail to links open in uh yeah. to like something more advanced where uh you can change like what Siri will integrate with when you try and set a reminder. Uh like I want that to go to OmniFocus um or whatever where it's like you can I can set something in OmniFocus but like it I feel like the uh or I wish that I could have Spotify as my default music app um, and something like that uh, to integrate with Siri, uh, which uh, especially with something like the HomePod, uh, I think is uh, like it, it, it definitely makes the HomePod to me a much less appealing product as someone who is less heavily invested in the Apple uh, co- like services ecosystem. Um, sure. I don't, I use Spotify. I use Overcast to listen to podcasts. Um, I don't use Apple reminders. I don't, like all the things that Siri has access to, like, aren't the things that I use. Um, and so that just kind of makes it like, um, a much less appealing product, even when Siri like is capable of doing something like it can't access what I want. Um, right. and I feel like that's something which like, even at a basic level, I would like to see start to improve of like maybe maybe allow like calendars, reminders, and like uh email. Like if they started with that, that would be I would be thrilled. Um and then like maybe branch out from there about like something larger where like music is really hard to set up like uh integration like that, uh with, with a voice assistant. But I would love to be able to uh to do that. Um Yeah. I mean, so so with um, can you not set uh, reminders with Siri in OmniFocus or you I... can um, the 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 uh, the vocabulary you use is something like uh, add like add a task to OmniFocus to do whatever or whatever where it's just like more verbose in a way that like what I want to say is just remind me to do this um, yeah yeah and if I say that it adds it to reminders where it's something where right. it's like. It's under it's something where it's like it's a totally doable workaround, but the idea that it's like if you if you know like what application you use to do these things, um, you should be able to like train Siri to know that too, um, so yeah. that it like lets you communicate in a way that doesn't feel like I am talking to a knowledge navigator or whatever I am talking <laughs> to like an assistant like or an actual close to person. Um, I'm sorry, and, Mark, but I cannot do that for you while you're in the car. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's something where I I feel like that's one of the one of the major 
one of Apple's major hurdles to improve Siri, but uh, is is like I think that would be a big way to open it uh, up to being much more helpful to a lot of people. Um, the other one just being like getting things right more of the time of what it can do already. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot there. Um, I mean, I mean to to so with regards to third party integrations i do wonder how much that might change now that the siri engineering team reports to craig federighi as opposed to eddie Mm -hmm. q yeah um how long did that change that happened sometime uh in in 2017 okay so that's a welcome change (laughs) i mean to me you know Craig's tenure running software engineering at Apple has been marked by a lot of focus on building extensible tools, right? I mean, and obviously yeah. extensibility, that whole concept of, of, hey, like we could roll a lot of these, you know, ex- extensions and things ourselves, but like, why not just make this a framework that, you know, third parties can can leverage and you know now apps can be integrate with other apps without having to go through apple for anything right yeah. like uh so i think that mindset being at the top is going to be make a big difference hopefully for for where siri goes in the future right like i'm for curious sure. how i'm curious how much of the music restriction is a uh how much of that is look like in order to do this at the way the customers want it to be done we need to own the full stack from like the you know where the content is stored to tagging the metadata to mm-hmm. understanding what it is to defining the syntax and the domain how much of it is that versus like like uh, we just want apple music subscriptions right yeah like, how much of it is like the strategy tax um, right yeah right and, and so go sorry. ahead no you go i mean and, and to me like i you know Craig doesn't strike me as someone who's like concerned about subscription numbers or anything right like i don't yeah. think that's the thing he's worried about so I had actually missed that that, that had changed uh who it was under, but that's that definitely seems promising to me um for the reasons you outlined. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. I mean I, I I'm hope like have you used any of the other uh be- you know, before we, we talk about uh HomePod, have you used any of the other sort of like voice assistants for music stuff? Um I uh tried out and returned ultimately just because uh money is tight uh, and decided it's like this is not worth it right now for me um i got the uh sonos one the uh the echo enable or like uh echo capable uh sonos product um and i thought it sounded really good i liked being able to use uh the lady in a tube um <laughs> i enjoyed that uh and I thought it worked, like, in terms of being able to control music uh, with Spotify, I thought it worked great. And when I would, like, let it surprise me more with stuff, I find that Spotify is really, really good at that. Um, in a way where when I did try using Apple Music, I wasn't, I would, I would be surprised in a way that was maybe less positive uh, more <laughs> often. Um, but but that, yeah. that's a good, that's a good uh, transition point to, uh, to, uh, you know the latest, I guess, product launch, which is HomePod. HomePod. Um, um so to to that end, um, I picked mine up on Friday, and I saw, you know, uh, 
local uh, local person Tim Cook at the Apple Store. <laughs> <laughs> did you <laughs> I, so Did you ask him to I come let, on the pod? <laughs> I was really he was man, he was he was swamped by like there you know so in the South Bay area, like all the tech company uh all of the tech company headquarters and stuff are major tourist spots, like in the oh way that God. Hollywood yeah, studios yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. So like you, you would traditionally see, you know, often see tour buses going uh infinite loop, right? At at uh, Apple the old Apple uh yeah. headquarters. And like it's just like parking there is already a nightmare and then you have like tourists running around. Um so uh Apple Park has a visitor center across the street from it and it's uh you know it's very nice and there's enough parking specifically for it and all that stuff. So I live about, you know, like 8 minutes away. So when I was like doing ordering my home pod, I was like I'll just pick it up from Apple Park, whatever. Uh it's right there. <laughs> like it's it's not it's it's trivial for me to get there. So I uh I roll out of bed like I don't even bother showering or anything. I'm just like I'm just gonna go like walk in and pick this thing up and then leave. And I just I uh I park my car. I don't even take the nice car. I take like my 2004 like Honda Civic that like is out of like uh I like washer wiper washer fluid. Like I'm just like totally just you know like if you take like what sweatpants represented someone's uh, wardrobe and apply it to everything like that's what I was doing that morning. You were you were sweatpants. I was sweatpants, <laughs> and I was like, all right, this product is launching. Let me go pick mine up from the store. So I go to the store, and I walk in, and I'm just like, oh, oh, hi, it's Tim. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I guess I could I could go take a picture or say hi, but then I'm just like, wait, like, my hair looks like crap. I, I, uh, like, my, uh. <laughs> Like I just, I just, I feel like this is not my best self. Like I don't, this is not worthy of Tim Cook. And it's funny because like you, you see it, like he's getting hounded by people, and um, oh, what's his man. name? Uh, Steve Dowling was there, kind of you know, uh, helping kind of handle and triage all the people around him. And uh, Steve Dowling's the guy who runs, uh, yeah, you yeah. Know, Apple uh, PR, Apple PR, yeah. Um, so it was just funny, just being like, oh, cool, like, and at the same time, like. I'll have plenty of other opportunities to see Tim Cook. I live right there. Like, <laughs> that's um, that's funny. <laughs> uh, so I was like, yeah, whatever. I'll just like be adjacent to him and 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 just take this in and and uh, pick up my HomePod. So I picked up my HomePod, brought it home, um, set it up. Mm. It is a uh, you know setup process was as uh, low key as like AirPods were basically. Um, and uh so yeah, I've been uh living with it for the last couple of days. Uh I don't see what all the fuss is about. Like it's a perfectly fine speaker, right? Mm-hmm. And it you know, we uh my roommate and I have home kit devices in various parts of the house, particularly lights, so not having to like talk to a particular device, but just being able to like, you know, when I'm going to sleep in the room I can just say uh, you know, Siri turn off the lights or Siri good night and it turns the lights off without having to like yell at my phone or you know look at my watch or yeah. you know that that's great um for me it was replacing a bluetooth speaker in my room and mm-hmm. it it's a it's a Bose mini sound link oh nice um which uh which is it's a small nice small, you know it's a little portable speaker it's really heavy 
for it's, something that's it sounds portable. it sounds that's like a good sounding bluetooth speaker though yeah so what pissed me off about that speaker though is how like it it you know it shipped in like 2014 so part of it's just that it's kind of old by by speaker standards now but it you have to go walk up to it turn it on then it connects with whatever device you know it was recently paired to it so for me that's either my ipad or my iphone Mm-hmm. And to switch devices is a pain. Ooh, like yeah, to... that's I don't do that with my Bluetooth speaker. I have the UE Roll too. Um, yeah, I'm, I love that thing. Um, it is exactly what I want at least right now. Um, until I can get like amazing multi-room audio someday, uh, and like be able to do that properly. Yeah, um, like it's super lightweight. Uh, you can like hang it from cabinets or like in the shower it's waterproof and it's like this is perfect um and i just have it connected to my iphone um yeah never anything else Um, yeah so so for me it's just like i i also kind of don't like how how ios handles bluetooth streaming right like like or how it just handles the audio for it because basically with airplay you're just streaming out like the audio component of whatever media is playing in the foreground right or yeah. playing in general in the system, in the system now playing thing. Um, yeah. With uh, with Bluetooth, it's just putting all the system audio out, right? And so, like, I hate that feeling of, like, listening to a tune, great. And then I, like, open up uh, something in Instagram, and then, like, you have this thing playing alongside that thing. Um, which really, at the, the core of that is that, like, I'd like the speaker to just, like, have its own, like, player that is playing audio right like i want the speaker to be its own thing pulling down content from the cloud and i don't want like i don't need this like casting stuff anymore like i think i'm kind of i've hit the point where even like airplay one is past the point of something i want to be messing around with yeah um because it's it it requires just far too much uh like i'm now like if i'm like if i'm airplaying something right like I'm always afraid to open up like other apps that I know have media rich media in them because it's like, Oh no, like it's going to derail everything. Right. Yeah. I, it's something where like, I think to me, it still feels a little bit like maybe I just have like more optimism or enthusiasm about it. Uh, but like, it still does feel a little bit magic to me to be able to just wirelessly play from my phone to this Bluetooth speaker that like is waterproof and I can just carry around easily with me. It's like, wow, this is crazy. Um, uh, and, like, I know that some other devices do more, but, frankly, I even with the Sonos um, One uh, or with other things, like, I didn't find that any of them was more seamless for what I wanted to do than this, like, $50 speaker I have. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, to me, um, the HomePod seems like a really, a lot of things about it are, like, something I really want. Um, like I want a good speaker for my living room or just like a listening speaker. Cause I have good computer speakers for mixing and editing, but they're not in like the right spot to listen, uh, normally. Um, and, uh, I want something, uh, like I am an Apple product fan. I want something that sounds good. That is like aesthetically pleasing. Um, and like in so many ways, it's like, I would want to buy this product. Um, but the fact that uh i can't play the music i have on it uh at least easily um or in a way that like feels any 
better than what I currently have from a much, much cheaper speaker, um, then, like, it, it's frustrating to me, at least, um, where my feeling is, like, Apple, Apple's positioned it and done pretty well, like, spinning reviews and stuff of, like, this is, this isn't, don't think of it as, like, a voice assistant um, that can play music. Think of it as, like, a, a great speaker that has Siri built in or whatever, that happens to have Siri as a part of it, is more, like, more the focus. Um, but to me, like, if that's, if that's what it is, like, if it's a great speaker and that's the selling point, like, you should be able to play whatever it is <laughs> with it. Um, where it's, like, great, like, I, I don't care, like, I'm willing to put up with some of Siri's downsides but i just wish that i could like actually play the music and the podcast that i have with it where it's like oh this doesn't work with my current uh my current workflow so so an interesting point to that and i'm I'm curious this is kind of speculation on my part but none of the, the most of the reviews i saw kind of focus on like your interface with homepod as siri right and it's all siri or your airplane stuff i don't think anyone's talked about there's this kind of, uh, I guess it's AirPlay too. It I haven't really seen it marketed properly or any sort of further context given around it. But basically, in some of the iOS 11.3 betas and some of the earlier 11.2 betas, and you you notice this if you have an Apple TV that also has the TVOS beta on it, if you uh, long press or force press on the now playing widget in Control Center it'll actually give you a couple different options, right? If you have an Apple TV running the beta, it'll show it to you there. It'll, it'll show you like now playing for that particular Apple TV. Okay. Um, or now with HomePod and I'm running the 11.3 beta on my phone, it has now playing for the HomePod. And so I don't know whether that's also an 11.2.5 or not, but that's besides the point. So what I, you can actually do is if you spring, if you select that now playing view, and that's your main now playing view. And then you go back to music or podcasts. You're browsing the app using the app's interface, but anything you play will start playing on that device that you just selected. Yeah, I, I heard about this. Um, I think they talked about it on Upgrade. Um, and I, it's something which to me sounds really confusing um, in a way where it's like potentially useful, but like uh, it sounds like really kind of cumbersome of having to like swap in and out of like what what do I want to be controlling um and what do I think I'm controlling um and maybe it's something you get used to but it just sounds it doesn't sound elegant to me well I mean I I think it's uh it's probably not particularly discoverable because I see the wire the wire cutters at HomePod review straight up says there's no app like front end for this device for media playback and I'm like yeah "Yeah, there is (laughs) And so that tells me that it's just not obvious or, they, yeah. you know, they're not briefing this in properly to them or I don't know. But um, I think probably both. I mean, what would be interesting it, that this is basically the Chromecast model, right? It is the notion of instead of broadcasting bits to uh, to speakers or Apple TVs or whatever, you're basically handing off a URL to them over the network and then they are locally pulling the content down from the server. Yeah. Right. And so. If that framework already exists for, uh, you know, Apple's first-party products, be it podcasts and uh, music at this point, it would be great to see that op- be opened up to third parties, right? Like, what if you could do that for Netflix, where you could, like, browse something, uh, br- you know, browse the Netflix UI on your phone, and then hit the hit the play button, 
And instead of airplaying it to your TV, like your Apple TV just launches Netflix and pulls the content down, right? Yeah. Or uh, if sorry, continue. Or or if uh, in the case of like Overcast, right? Like Overcast yeah. could have like a have a HomePod player, right? Because all you really need, you don't even have to write a UI for it. You just have to write a player app for it. Uh, you know. Uh, and then it's just the thing where the network hands it off to the HomePod, and the HomePod's you know always sharing back the sort of play state. Um, yeah, I would I would certainly love to see something like that where like if it could do stuff with Overcast, um, and if there was like a little bit of a even just a steps forward for Spotify, like I would be very tempted by the HomePod because yeah, it seems like a really great speaker. Um, it just seems like there are if that's if if the focus of it is like this is a speaker first um when i go to buy a speaker my thought is like <laughs> i don't want to have to worry about whether or not it can play the stuff i want to listen to like that's yeah it's generally not an issue so that's i feel like that's the the biggest um issue i have with apple's framing of it um where because it is something that only really does work truly seamlessly with apple's services it really is like you can't not really investigate how well like the the quality of that and think of it as a Siri speaker rather than a great speaker that has Siri built in. Yeah. I mean, I think this is something they can address in software and I wouldn't be shocked if like there is a clearly a software roadmap for this product that extends out for the more than the next year and just like bug yeah. fixes and stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> I actually adding I, AirPlay 2 to it. Um yeah. Right. I mean I, I'm hoping that, you know, at, at WWDC we see something on the on the, you know, framework and API front where, you know, that whatever special sauce that Apple Music and Apple Podcasts have in terms of controlling HomePod and Apple TV from, you know, with this different sort of now remote now playing UI. Um you know, if 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 other apps can get that and be able to write client apps to basically play back content on those devices after interfacing with your phone, that's that's a game changer, right? Because that's that means that uh, you know, HomePod can really be like a it could be a Spotify speaker without necessarily having to have like Siri integration, right? Yeah. Um, so so our next topic, uh, do we want to talk about uh? The state of, I guess, let's let's do this quickly. I don't want to belabor this too much because I talk about TV stuff a lot. But uh, third-party TVSO, TVOS apps being bad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, if you're an Apple TV user and you use YouTube on your Apple TV, you'll notice that the app has gotten significantly shittier in the last week. Um, well, it's gotten it's gotten a major change <laughs> it's it's a subjective thing um, i'm willing to editorialize here i'm gonna okay. call it it's 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 shitty on every platform like i would not be happy with this app on a ps4 which funnily enough i uh the only other connected tv device i have is a playstation 4 so or actually no i have a switch too but uh the ps4 is the only one that has streaming apps on it so i was like I wonder how this app looks on the PlayStation 4. It's the exact same UI. Like, yeah. uh, you know, and the same thing with Amazon Prime where one, uh, you know, in December when shipped for Apple TV, uh, I switched inputs and installed, like updated the PlayStation 4 version. And I asked my roommate to come in. It's like, hey, guess what? This is the PS4 version of this app. And it looks exactly the same. <laughs> These apps are bad across every platform, right? I think you're, you're making a point about how like, yeah, UI is kind of subjective, but... Um, 
you know, you fire up your, uh, you know, a PlayStation 4 or Roku or an Android TV if you can, you know, find one of those white whales. But, um, you know, like these apps are all terrible across, like it's it's the same UI, just re-implemented on different platforms. It's not Mm -hmm. like they're they're thinking about this like, okay, uh, you know, we're targeting... uh, we wanted to have a good like platform citizen like native experience. Um, mm-hmm. In the case of YouTube, I mean, I think it's just like uh, you know, I was talking to a to a friend of friend of the show about this, and uh, uh, you know, I think it's clear it's an analytics play for one thing, right? Like re-implement everything so they can get you know data consistency across every single client that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I think is that in the case of YouTube, like how many people do you know, like on a broad scale, like like YouTube on a TV device is their jam. Right? I yeah I mean, no, <laughs> and 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 so I I imagine that like TV is not a high priority for them in terms of like form factors, and so they were just like, hey, just material design this this app we had before, and uh, you know we'll deprecate our our t our old uh, you know TVOS app. Like the previous TVOS app was written in TVML Kit, which is like why it was. You know, like it had the black background and used San Francisco as the font. Like it was basically just like a bunch of templates pulling, you know, content down from YouTube servers and then using yeah. the native, uh, the system video player for, for playback. So I think like part of this is it's, it's cross-platform consistency, it's analytics uh, and, and data consistency associated with that. And, you know, not giving a shit about like TV as a platform because you look at the... I mean, look how big YouTube is, right? I don't have any numbers in front of me, but the fact that, you know, they're operating in, like, the billions scale, not the millions scale, yeah. right? And then you look at, like, connected TV boxes. Like, I don't even think that market is, like, a billion yet, right? Like, it's not a smartphone market. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, I always post this chart that I made with some e-marketer data, but it's, like, all of these sort of, like, connected TV boxes, at least in the U.S., are hovering around, like, 25 to 30 million in terms of install bases. Um so it's not it's not a lion's share of their traffic. I don't think YouTube in particular really gives a shit about this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And and that's why like this app is just so bad across every platform. Now, if you want to, uh, and I realize I'm just starting to go on like a classic Rajam TV rant, but uh, <laughs> well, I so my my thought, um, and this like beyond just the YouTube app, um, this is like the in terms of like not non-native. Uh, apps for the apple tv like the the uis that are very much not uh as you said being good platform citizens um i i feel like that's true of what like hulu or um uh is hbo go is uh or like all these different things are like maybe not the most native feeling or all feel like a little weird and a lot of them i would say are like probably not great in my opinion um but are being designed with the idea of consistency across like the various platforms and maybe some consistency with how like their web interface works when you're on like the com- uh, on a computer. Um not always true, but like some more familiarity in terms of design language and style. Yeah. Um and it's like there it's definitely a tension between what's more important. Um uh, being a good platform citizen um and having it look like an Apple TV app or having your content service look like your brand everywhere um and i i don't know that 
being like the good platform citizen and looking like a good Apple TV app, um, though it's something that I might value, I don't know that that's the wrong play. I feel like that's probably, to me, feels like the smarter move if I am like uh, trying to, like to, if I'm a content provider trying to show why I'm better, even if it's maybe not the best implementation, I want people to know oh, this is what Netflix looks like everywhere, always. It is the right thing. Um, or Hulu or whatever. Like, I, I don't know that that's the wrong, the wrong direction to go in. I don't think, that doesn't mean I think that these UIs are good. Um, but I think that the underlying motivations behind some of it, I think I, I could see being uh, the right move from these companies as, content uh providers that you want to make your brand stand out and be different uh whether or not that's necessarily uh standing out in a great way in the end but i i definitely understand the the motivation uh, or the desire to do that yeah i mean the this is this has historically been i mean this is not the first time the sort of build one ship everywhere mentality has existed right i mean that's why people were you know facebook most famously was pushing for you know HTML, JavaScript, like, you know, web technologies being the UI layer on their mobile products for a very long time. Um, so this isn't a new thing. I, I think um, in the case of TV products, um, you know, yeah, Roku is kind of the, is the sort of market leader, right? Roku and like Fire TV. Chromecast famously does not really have like its own dedicated UI. It's the, it's, you know, the phone app. Um, so it, it's it's a weird thing where no one's really incentivized to like focus for specific platforms in this space. Um and and the fact that, you know, like historically Amazon and uh Google don't, are are not known to have great taste in this matter, uh, you know, makes it worse. Um as it pertains to Apple TV, like I, I, I've articulated on the podcast and, you know, in blog posts that like the in its current state, it's not a market leader, right? It's not something that that is, uh, you know, leading in market share, or profit share, or even usage, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, <laughs> it is uh, really not. It's not the best showing. Yeah, and I I think the uh, the way iOS was able to get around this whole sort of you know. Uh, you know, write once, uh, implement everywhere or, you know, run everywhere thing was just the, the, the size of the mobile market and just how many people use iOS devices and the fact that it's like a platform that is known to have the best customers, right. In terms of users engagement and, and spending and all those metrics you can go measure that I'm sure like Horace and other people have, you know, broken down. Um, that's how they got around that. Right. Like you look at, um, Look at how far like UIs have kind of come on iOS from third-party apps. Like if you open up the Facebook app, right? Facebook on iOS feels like an iOS app, right? Like there's, you know, they're using like native UI conventions like, uh, you know, uh, tab bars and, uh, you know, all the scrolling behaviors and where things are located and, you know, just deferring mm -hmm. to the overall sort of hierarchy of the system. Um and and same thing even like YouTube's own iOS app, right? Like for a while they had a sort of hamburger menu thing, and then at some point they switched back to a tab, uh, you know, a tab interface, right? Like yeah, 
it's it's little subtleties that like that where it's like yes they actually are when they want to they have the ability to invest the resources in making a good uh an app that's a good platform citizen and um i think in the case of the apple tv you know all the sort of other you know things we've discussed about these apps being shitty aside like the fact that there apple has no leverage on that front right like it's not like oh yeah this is like these customers are amazing. There's so many of them. You'll get higher engagement if you actually invest in your applications. Like, you know, go read the tvOS uh, HIG and watch all these things about the Focus Engine and and you know, uh, make a great tvOS app. Like, no one who's like YouTube or Google has any incentive to, to or sorry, YouTube or Amazon really has much incentive to do that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it's it's just not. Apple really hasn't found the right uh with like the price point and all these uh with like the it doesn't have the exclusive content or the price point or any any of the things that I think are needed to justify or like to get this to be a product that could be a focus of these companies or a pro- like a priority at all um cuz it it really just doesn't get to that point um yeah uh I don't know that I have anything that much more I to mean, add on this. Um, I think, well, I mean, I'll, I'll just add one last thing before we move on to some more like content related stuff. I think it is very ironic that like the, everyone like hates the current versions of like, uh, of these apps, but like you go plug in like an Apple TV three that doesn't have TV OS. Like they, th- those apps are still there and they still work. And they're like, they're, there's more consistent and easier to use than like, they're native versions like this this the whole sort of like web versus native aspect of that conversation is just hilarious to me because like like the the old apple tv apps were built using web technologies right it's like xml and javascript and and uh you know it's not like objective c that's driving those those uh applications and so it's just like you know everyone's like native is always better it's like actually you know, a templated like web system, you know, web technology based system uh, is often better for, for customers. And it's, it's, it's just ironic that like they opened up this app store and like the apps are just like crap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's not, not great. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but Um, for, for content stuff though, um, you know, Let's talk about podcasts a bit because I think there's been some news on that front. Um, yeah, in terms of how um, how how creators are getting their content out in the world. Yeah, there's been a number of different angles on this. Um, like uh, I recently, so this week, um, the New York Times announced that uh, they will be partnering with American Public Media to bring their the Daily Podcast with Michael Barbaro to radio stations um, as, like, a, a daily radio show as well as being a podcast, um, which is both, like, interesting and weird and scary in a number of ways of, like, how how will they balance keeping the show in a way that I think really uh, works for, like, that it's it's a show designed for the podcast form where it varies in length and and where the breaks are and, and things where it's like, I, I think that that flexibility um, is really important and I'll be interested to see how they adapt. But I also know that Lisa Tobin, the head of audio at the New York times um, is like one of the smartest people. Uh, and I trust her and the team there to like not screw that up. And I think that this offers like a new 
for sure a new um, kind of chance at what I'm excited to see is potentially this the the sound of podcasts and the way that they're different from old school NPR um, and the way that they approach stories. I'm excited to see that kind of take over and a little bit become the norm on the radio too. Um, where I think that if anything, like <laughs> that allows what's currently the sort of cutting edge or the new sound that allows it to kind of become normal so that something else can sound new and exciting again, um, which I don't think a lot necessarily has sounded totally new for a while in the this sort of radio podcast space um, in the same way uh, that uh, I think This American Life changed the game in 1995 uh, and then Radiolab uh, as it came around. And there have been a few podcasts that have also done a lot of innovative work, um, Love and Radio and The Heart, um, for changing what the sound of, <laughs> of the industry is like. But, um, you know, it's something where there hasn't been a major shift. Uh, and I think this kind of becoming, like, I could see this as being, like, the start of when things can can really change up in a big way again, um, which I find really exciting. Yeah, so do you, I mean, do you think this is, what do you think is driving this on the on the part of, of the New York Times? Do you think it's it's a, you know, get more is this supposed to be like sort of content marketing where it's getting people to subscribe to the podcast so they can then further monetize through through ads or you know listening to other new york times podcasts or is it just broader distribution or like what Um, what do you think the actual content play is well i think it's just broadening the listener base um to people who don't listen to podcasts and maybe will continue not to listen to podcasts um but you know uh my i don't know the details of the finances behind it but the the way that i expect it'll work is in terms of how this will be the major returns. Um, it'll get an, a listener base um, on, it'll get broadcast on and picked up on various local stations across the country. Um, and those stations will pay licensing fees uh, to American public media, which the New York times will get a cut of. And so that'll be its own uh, financial. I suspect that's like, and that's how shows like uh, all things considered work. Uh or morning edition from NPR, like those are licensed by the NPR stations, um, like the member stations across the country. Um, and I suspect like, and that's sustainable on its own. Um, so it's something where that I suspect will be a, a good source of revenue that is its own, could be its own reward. But additionally, um, in the same way that the daily as a podcast has really driven readership, subscriptions and like uh reading of the new york times like the actual newspaper product um and the website um that i think will certainly come a lot from uh new listeners that they'll gain who are uh listening via terrestrial radio um which i think is a great move um like strategy wise uh and i think that the daily is really um one of the most exciting products out of the New York times in a very long time. Um, and I, I think it's easily the best, um, easily one of the best, uh, podcasts that has debuted in a while. Um, so yeah, I, I am excited about this, uh, and all of anything else that, uh, 
I suspect will come with cha- like any future changes with uh, what the New York Times does and new products that they new audio shows that they'll offer. Um, I'm really excited to see where they go with that. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it is it is a uh, you know the vast blue ocean I guess out there. I don't know if I'm using the right metaphor here, but um, I, I think it, it is it is fascinating to see the medium of podcasts become more mature to the daily news. There's the Pod Save America going to HBO News. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're doing some specials, and this is not the first sort of time that HBO has dabbled with the podcast for you know sourcing content, or at least the first uh, deal that they've they've made for this. They um they also just recently did one with um Two Dope Queens from WMIC. yeah that's out yeah yeah that's out now and it's oh it's out pretty now great. okay yeah I've not yeah. seen it it's yeah, the second episode they're doing it every Friday, so there are two more that they're coming out with. Okay. Um and I mean that show in particular was always kind of more than just uh them sitting in a studio, right? It's always been kind of like yeah, a, it's live been a live comedy show. show. Yeah. Yeah. Um so that makes the transition pretty well. I know that the the Pod Save America They've been doing a lot guys, of tours and live shows yeah. with that as well. Um so I think yeah. that'll lend itself like it it lends itself to a fairly easy um uh conversion into like an hbo special or like doing it in that way um that it's not like inventing something totally new um where it 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 feels like a logical extension of what they've been doing um in the same way that the daily becoming something that like becomes a daily news broadcast um like to me like the daily is my like is a modern version of morning edition like no no offense to the people who work for morning edition because many talented people work there but it's not the show that i want to hear um the daily is like the voice and style of what i want as like a morning briefing um and kind of seeing uh it basically like replace (laughs) basically kind of like not necessarily replace it but come and slowly i think will be infringing on that territory um i think that's like that feels like the logical conclusion of it um that this is the modern version of this thing and eventually it will be what replaces it um and in the same uh and i think like you know uh pod save america which never well it's a great podcast i never felt like that was something where they were doing a podcast simply because they it wasn't out of a love for the medium in the same way that i think uh the people producing the daily um there is a love for audio as a form where yeah i think i think for pod save america it's more this is cheap and we can we can do this on a with a relatively like scrappy crew and in in effect what they created was you know like the millennial focus like fox news of the left <laughs> <laughs> if you want to, if you want to be really reductive about it, I think they're more beholden to facts than Fox News is. Obviously. I think they're significantly but... more more considerate of facts, but it's it's something where it's it's something where it's it's biased and like open about it, which I also don't think that uh, Fox is necessarily as like it doesn't show that self awareness. Folks, uh, what I was doing just now was called false equivalency. Yes. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! You know, both this and the daily thing 
are, are hopefully you know growing the exposure of podcasting to an even wider audience. Because um, I, I think there's definitely more headroom there in terms of who's listening to podcasts and who still hasn't, even though they've been a thing for ten years now, over ten years now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um. Cool. Yeah. So I think that's that's I think that's a show. Thank you, Mark, so much for being on uh, episode two of Rajam Radio. It's yeah. been great. Hope I that hope that there, this wasn't like a sophomore slump. <laughs> no, I th- I think I think the show is getting better, and it's you know, uh, you've been uh, your guidance has been invaluable in the sort of editing and production <laughs> aspect of the show. As I am that uh, photo of the dog sitting in front of the computer with a headset, and I don't know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> So, uh, thank you so much for that. Um, if people want to find you, uh, uh-huh. which sounds creepy, but if they want to find you on the internet, uh, if you want to find me, please don't. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, no, but I, uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, MC Bramhill, um, and uh, you can listen to my podcast at Macintosh.fm. Um, so do you, do you have any, uh, any, uh, any news on what's next for Welcome to Macintosh? Um, figuring that out. Uh, I'm, I'm figuring out how to potentially fund some more episodes of it. Uh, if I want to do another Kickstarter or a Patreon or partner with, uh, some other, like some organization to try and like, uh, secure funding, like upfront to be able to afford to produce things. Um, just cause, uh, making it is expensive uh and uh at least as far as like a one one man show producing it uh by an unemployed college grad um <laughs> then uh <laughs> the amount of money is not huge but it feels significant to me right now um so figuring out how to uh make that feasible um and uh yeah i will hopefully have news on that soon i'm still uh figuring that out well, that, that that's good to hear. And if you ever need someone to talk to or just to shoot the breeze with, you're more than welcome to come back on yeah. this little this little <laughs> show. Um, as always, uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, at Pavanrajam. Uh, you probably will struggle with spelling that, so I'm going to put that in the show notes. As always, uh, please do subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, or the podcast client of your choice. And uh, also, if you like the show, uh, give it a review in Apple Podcasts or a star slash recommendation in Overcast. Uh, and share it with your friends, your family, uh, everyone you know. Your dog. Uh, your dog. <laughs> um, you know, your, your dog, your cat. Your bus driver. Uh, your bus driver, you know, just walk around town with, uh, you know, don't put in your headphones, just play this, uh, off your phone, uh, or iPad, uh, without headphones in it. The max, max volume. volume. Yeah. Turn on yeah, speed or that. volume boost. Just like blast volume it. boost. Uh, take your loved one's phones and just go ahead and subscribe them to the show. You know, do whatever it takes. Uh, <laughs> we're going guerrilla by marketing any, with this by any means necessary. <laughs>